Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is the Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome to another episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. It's me and B here today together as usual. Again. Is that even a song or are you just making yeah. stuff? It's Janet Jackson, babe. What? Yeah. Janet this Jackson. It's not okay that you don't know Janet Jackson. I'm going to have again, to again, everywhere I go, every oh, yeah. time I see, I know you are smiling back at me. And now I yeah, know that song. Just... Airtime. I hope I'm in people's cars at the moment and I hope people are just like belting it out and now they're going to be like, I have to listen to the podcast first yeah. and then I'm going to listen to Janet. Well, don't worry, this podcast is short today, so you've yeah. got plenty of time to listen to us and Janet today. Yeah. I won't edit that out because we've got a bit of time today. It's a short of a short topic, but an important one. Uh, so we're, today we're going to talk about date fruit consumption in pregnancy because women do this. They eat dates and they say it does all these things. And I get asked this because I'm a private midwife and my clients are like, when should I start eating dates? And I'm like, how do you know you even should eat dates? And they just are like, well, my mum ate dates and my sister ate dates and my friend ate dates and they said I should eat dates. So now this is what we're here to talk about. Did you say their mums ate dates? Their mums and their sisters and their cousins and everyone around them is like, when are you going to start eating the dates? They're asking because it's a new thing, right? Like in our, it's a new thing for in Australian culture and probably for those listening in like the UK and the US because we're going to talk about where the research comes from but typically dates well hang on a second here first question because dates grew beautifully in Alice Springs when I lived there but they're not native to Australia so they're not something that naturally grows here and I don't know about my heritage line now I'm gonna I don't think Malta maybe but definitely not Scotland I imagine Um, Yes, and in Cyprus, they had other sweet fruits like that would be like a date, but I don't think they had date palms. When I was in Israel, though, they have dates like dripping from the trees in the streets. Yeah, and this is this is important. You're probably thinking, why are you, why are you talking about this? But we are going to touch on this today. But I did it personally. So I did it with Banjo's, my pregnancy with Banjo. Did you do it, Mel? I didn't do I didn't do dates for my pregnancy because I realized so for my first pregnancy I had a very intuitive knowledge for some reason that he was going to be born early and he was he was born at 36 weeks but I kind of knew that comparison we both had our baby our first babies at 36 weeks so I had dates Mel didn't and we both had vaginal home births little study going on here on the podcast but let's look at the research let's actually Look at why people get recommended to have dates, whether it's by their healthcare professional or their social network. Let's do it. So so why are we looking at it? Firstly, a lot of people ask us, what about dates? Should we do that? And women typically start consuming dates in their labor because in their pregnancy because they're worried about going far past their due date. So like into their 41st or 42nd week of pregnancy. You are not overdue until 42 once you've 
past 42 weeks, go back and listen to our due dates episode, which is still our most popular episode. And the other reason why some women will have dates in their pregnancy is if they had a really long labor last time or if their cervix for some reason didn't dilate. So there's, you know, and we'll talk about the research on this, but they, they, they religiously eat dates in order to help with the function of their cervix. And so then this is also women who want to avoid induction or augmentation of labor, speeding up their labor, uh, start to try and consume dates. You know, there's usually a particular reason. Uh, Some women have heard from their friends, cousins, mothers, grandparents, whoever, that, you know, oh, it's time to start eating dates. And so they just start eating dates because that's what their social network is doing or their their family or culture um, or ethnicity calls for that. And so they just do it without kind of thinking about it. So today we wanted to ask, like, is it a fad? Does it have any merit? Is there any research behind eating dates in pregnancy? So fun story is, is yes, there is actually a lot of research. The problem is, is probably all the good research is not in English because eating dates in labor seems to be rooted in uh, traditional medicine, like traditional medicinal cultures of the Middle East, of Persia, India, Iran, Israel, you know, these places that where dates grow. <laughs> and that's a big part of what we started talking about. It's where they actually grow and have been consumed by that culture for thousands of years. Yes, traditionally. And so a lot of the research is not in English. So obviously I could only access the research that's either been translated or published in Western journals. But I found quite a lot of papers. The problem is, is that the the research groups are really small. And so each paper, for example, there were some who had 70 participants and 35 of them ate dates and 35 of them didn't. And that, so those are the numbers we're dealing with. So the paper I'm going to draw the information from today is a paper that was published in 2020, so pretty recent in in the research world. Uh, Luckily, it was a systematic review and a meta-analysis of the past 20 years of research about date consumption and the possible impact it might have on labour and birth. So although I'm not bitter about it, I spent hours hunting for date research and I found this one last and your feelings are valid Mel you are totally allowed to be upset about that so yes I did all the work to find all the papers little did I know that this person someone had done the work for you (laughs) done the work for me so anyway I thought great thank you person I'm just going to read from your study because you've done all the work I just say here thank you to you because you do all the work for these podcasts, you do all the research, and I just rock up here and and chat to it in a non systematic way. So, just a big love to you and all the work you do in this space, and to find all the research. Thanks, B. I I do love having you here for the you know the feedback, the bouncing off each other. It's still you're still the extra editing. <laughs> the extra I got editing. so much extra editing. But, you know, we're better together. It doesn't. We just have different roles here. All right. Tell okay. us, what is this guy that did all the research, <laughs> what does he say about the dates? All right. So the title of this paper is called The Effect of Date Fruit on Labour and Delivery Outcomes or Birth Outcomes. 
It's a systematic review and meta-analysis. And they talked about how they did this study. They used the Cochrane Database of Systematic Reviews process. So it's, you know, pretty good. Cochrane's got a systematic process of how they select papers that they'll include and use when they do a systematic review. So although this wasn't a Cochrane Database review, they used the technique of how to do this systematic review. They found a lot of studies, but they only included eight. And total in all of eight studies, when they put all the people together, they only had 653 participants. And that's the limitation of this study on dates is that they're yet to do a very big trial or a very very big randomized control trial with many thousands of women where they might be able to compare what happens to the women who eat dates versus the women who don't eat dates. So we currently have about half of that was a control group and the other half eight dates. So that's what's happened. Yeah. So there was 325 participants in what we call the intervention group. So this was the people who ate dates. And then there was 328 in the control group. So this was just women who weren't given any instruction, just carry on with whatever you were doing before. And so they could compare those two groups to each other. So that's the that's the capacity of what information we have about dates. And so, you know, if this was anything else, you know, you and I be about good quality research. If this was about anything else, we'd say, well, there's not really great quality research to be supporting or recommending dates in pregnancy. But as we'll talk about later, this Western scientific way of, of, of creating knowledge isn't necessarily the authoritative way. So we'll talk about kind of the applicability of traditional medicinal therapies and where they're placed in history as to how valid and useful they are. So what they looked at is they asked the question of does eating dates have an impact on labour and birth outcomes? And before everyone's wondering, how many dates am I supposed to eat? When do you start? So the research suggested six to seven dates a day. So it's quite a lot from you. And you want to have them at least four weeks before you have your baby. So they kind of start 35 or 36 weeks, assuming that you're going to go into your 40th, 41st week, potentially. It's a lot of dates. It's got, you know, a lot of dates. It's expensive and I liked dates. I did not like them after my first pregnancy because, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do with dates if you're bothered. You know, when you're nearly term, so 36 weeks, like 35, 36 weeks. And so if you consider that your term around 37, 38 weeks, and obviously they kind of have 40 weeks as a due date mark. But if you have in your mind about four weeks and six or seven dates, but again, this is not fabulous science because we've only got a very little amount of information for us to be sure there was I, I, when I did the research there was a couple only a couple of studies and meta-analysis wasn't out yet and it was pretty much roughly the same that around six to seven dates for that time and they are really tasty for the first two weeks <laughs> well I've hang tight I've, I've I've got some recipes that yes. that and I'm some hanging. advice I turned yeah. up today I know. I'm. You don't know this. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am an, a genius in the kitchen. Like, I, I, it's why I want to come over your house for the food. There's, there's no humility about that. I'm a really good cook. So anyway, mm. that's not. I, anyway, I've got recipes. So <laughs> that's what I'm going with that. 
Sorry. Everyone's hanging for them now. They're like, come on, Mel, give us the recipes. All right, let's get into the research so we can right. get to the good stuff. So what they found for women who did this, who ate that many for up to four weeks before their babies, they found that date fruit can significantly reduce the duration of active labour, so shorter labours, and it can also improve the ripening of the cervix and how your cervix will respond to labour. So this is the times that my clients in particular that have used dates have had previous births where it took ages for their cervix to dilate, where they got stuck at a particular point. Like some women like, I got stuck at seven centimetres and never got past seven centimetres. For women who never responded to an induction, for example, later on in their pregnancies, and they'll just like, my cervix didn't respond. So people tend to eat dates to kind of ripen their cervix and make it respond to labour. So they found that it did have an impact on that. But again, it was they found only those findings on 350 of the participants over three studies. So not all eight studies showed that. So the authors of the paper stated that although it might reduce the duration and the preparedness of the cervix, the studies that they found were of low to medium quality. And they suggested that there would, that more and better quality research needs to be done before we can properly kind of confidently say to women, yep, do this, it'll make a difference. Yeah, so that's what we know about dates, unfortunately. That's the limit. But, and that's the limit of our Western understanding. So I started my um, clinical life as a naturopath. And in naturopathy, we use a lot of alternative therapies. And when we look at the use of some of the things, we always looked at the traditional use. So traditionally, what did these cultures use this for? And they must have had a scientific process back then that doesn't really resemble our Western scientific process of checking things. But I think that the human race is really, really smart and able to observe what happens to people over a period of time if they do this. They just haven't recorded it in the robust way that we do it now. Yeah, so there's limited research. Also acknowledging, I think what what we started off saying there too, though, was acknowledging that data can be collected and held in a community that doesn't look like how we in the West collect out and, and store our data. And so I think I'm just assuming here what you're saying, Mel, is that there's merit in, in the fact that these cultures are doing this and yes. it, it's working for them and they have seen that it works for them. What Mel and I are bringing to this conversation is, does it work for us here, given all the differences? Because it can very much work for one culture in a certain environment and not for another. Different things in different <laughs> cultures work differently because of a multi-factor, multifactorial reasons. Yes. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, is I don't want women who have traditionally done this to, to listen to this podcast and go, oh my gosh, there's no science behind it. What are we doing? Like value the traditional knowledge that you have over what I'm presenting here because I'm presenting a limited, flawed, you know, representation of what might be known about dates in labour because we're only accessing Western research-based information. So I want to not flawed, it's just limited. It's limited, but I think that that, you know, this is one way of gathering knowledge, but there's so many other ways of gathering knowledge that Mm. science doesn't allow for. So what I'm trying to say is don't like value your 
traditional knowledge and medicinal knowledge that has been gathered historically over the years as still valuable. Because there's no, there is no detrimental effect to having the dates, right? No. It's a food. There is no bad effect from it. So it's not like it's going to, there's no harmful effect. That's what I want to say. There's no harmful effect of having it. So you can consume them safely. What we will talk about is if you're diabetic and we will get to that because obviously that can be harmful, but we will talk about that in a a minute. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and I think that we we can move on into that because dates have got, they're very high in minerals and vitamins, but Obviously, they're quite sweet, but they're thought to have a lower glycemic index than things like lollies and honey and things like that. So although there's a sweetness, they still are not an incredibly high glycemic index. And what that means is, so if something is a high glycemic index, that means when you put it into your body, it can very quickly and suddenly be drawn into your bloodstream, causing you to have a very big blood sugar spike. And then your body overreacts with insulin and throws heaps of insulin in. And then you have this really sudden blood sugar drop in your in your blood sugar. And then what your body wants is more sugar to bring it back up again. And so you end up in this zigzaggy spiral of sugar consumption. So what you want is low glycemic index foods. And what that does, what that says is, is when you put that in your body, your body will gradually absorb that into your bloodstream and use it slowly. And so you don't get these huge peaks in blood sugar, you get a more stable blood sugar. So if you're planning on eating dates, one of the issues is what impact it might have on your blood sugar. And if you're diabetic, like B said, there can be an issue if you're diabetic, but if you're diabetic in pregnancy, you should be taking your blood sugars four times a day. So you've got a front row seat to be working out what dates are going to do to your blood sugar. So if you do want to start eating dates, you think, yep, this is what I need because maybe if you're diabetic, you're already being pressured into an early induction, for example. It's okay to experiment a little bit. Go, right, I'm going to have two dates, then check my blood sugar, see what it does to my blood sugar, You might find it has no impact. You might find it gives you a massive spike. So that just gives you information about what to do next. So there are things you can do to reduce the glycemic index and the glycemic load of your food. So even if you want to have something sweet, there's a way to eat something sweet without getting the blood sugar spike. So listen in. I think this is good for everybody anyway in life, if you're diabetic or not, is if you're going to have something sweet to work out how am I going to mitigate the blood sugar spike because you want stability in your blood sugar for good health. So I'm going to plug a book. I don't know this woman. I'm not paid by her or anything. It's called The Glucose Revolution and it's been written by, if you're on Instagram, have a look at the glucose goddess. I can't pronounce her name. Her name's Jessie and she's got this last name. I think it's, I don't know what it is, but I can't pronounce it. But her book is called The Glucose Revolution. And she talks about the the life-changing art of balancing your blood sugar. One of the big things she talks about is the consumption of apple cider vinegar before having something sweet. And she's got all these amazing charts of like, 
she'll do a chart of eating two dates, for example, and then she'll do another chart and she does all these little tests on herself. And so she makes all these little charts and they're all on Instagram. You can see them and her books are amazing. She's got a recipe book too. And then she'll show you what having vinegar before having something sweet will do to the peak of the blood sugar. So I recommend her book, Glucose Revolution, but she talks about, I think it's about a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. You can put it in water. She's really big on Instagram, but her stuff is incredible. She should be big on Instagram. Uh, So she does that. She also does things about, so another way of soaking up extra glucose in your blood is independent of insulin. If you exercise, your body will open up your cells and soak in uh, glucose without the need of, for insulin. So this is amazing for women who have um, insulin resistance for type 1 diabetics um, and type 2 diabetics, of course, but where there's not enough insulin activity, exercise can replace it. If only we knew someone that had a pregnancy exercise program that was epic, that was run by like a really incredible, hilarious woman. If only we had that to recommend I right know. now. Damn it. We just haven't prepared enough, I think, to be able to have names to just drop into corn floor pregnancy. Oh, yeah. Look her up. She might have something for you. I heard she's massive on Instagram too. Now I always say do the pregnancy because I went like five to like, you know, 35 minute workouts, but like a 10 minute workout like just before bed. And people are always like, oh, I can't get my heart rate up before bed. That's an old wives' tale that your mum told you. Just because she wanted you to calm the farm and go to sleep, right? Exercise is fine before you go to bed and it works beautifully, especially for diabetics before bed or just after the meal, right? So just think about it as after dinner. So like a seven to eight o'clock exercise is incredible, especially for your fasting blood sugars. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, you can do the vinegar, some exercise, the other way to reduce the glycemic index of your food or sex. You know, what is sex, yes, very good, B. That's in the exercise category. Oh. Is So pairing something sweet with something that's higher fat or higher protein. And the reason is, is that something that's higher fat or higher protein takes longer to digest. And if you jumble it all up into your body all together, your body's got to sift through what you just ate and find all the sugar and carbohydrates and everything first. And, and then it's got to go, oh, here's a bit of protein. Yeah, okay, we'll put that in. Oh, here's a bit of fat. Yeah, all right, come on, out of the way. And by the time it actually finds all the sugar that you've just eaten, your blood sugar is so stable because it's only gradually being absorbed into your bloodstream. So this is the other, so the order of food or the pairing of food. So if you eat your veggies first, then your protein and fats, and then whatever carbs or sweet food, you're going to have a much, much more stable blood sugar than if you go for the sweet stuff first. So don't eat your rice first, don't eat your potatoes first, eat your salad first, then your protein, then your carbs. So but we're diverging, but you get the idea with dates. So dates are like your sweet carb element of your meal. So how do you pair dates with something that might be higher fat, and higher protein and cue chef mel here she comes do, 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 do. okay so <laughs> dates they're amazing because you can stuff them with things right so take the cut it slit it at the top pluck the seed out of the middle because this is what you want you want fresh dates with the seeds still in them 
They're the most expensive ones, but they're the most delicious. Pluck the seed out and you'll see it opens up like, like if I'm going to describe it, uh, not quite that a baby's crowning, but you're halfway to having the baby. That's what a date looks like when you open it, a vulva. Anyway, you need it. You needed to explain that bit. It's yeah. the when the labia starts to part. That's right. what it looks like so when the can... head's pushing the labia out, but you can't yet see all of the head. Oh, but it's even a bit bigger than that. There's a bit of head showing with what it looks like when you take the pit out. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is you've got to stuff the date vulva with something to pair it with a protein slash fat source and eat that. So like time. peanut butter. So he, he's where, he's where the, the Ooh, now I'm going to get hungry. I need to go get five dates. So if you're not pregnant, like try So this is my not pregnant recipe. Cause you know, you're not technically supposed to eat soft cheeses when you're pregnant, even though we all do. <laughs> I did be loving. I didn't No, Don't do that. Everybody don't eat soft cheeses. So what here's, if you're not pregnant, open up a date, take a big chunk of glue cheese, jam it in and then put, a walnut in there. And oh, no, I'm so disappointed. Or prosciutto. No, there's two camps. There's blue cheese camps and there's no blue cheese camps. And I'm a blue cheese fan and prosciutto. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you got to do date, blue cheese, prosciutto, walnut. I'm spawning it in my mouth a little bit. Stop it. See, this is cooking with Mel, okay? I don't need the commentary. About because my husband's not a blue cheese fan, which is fine by me. I eat all the blue cheese in our house, but this is obviously so an acquired taste. You went with the most acquired taste version first. All the all the snooty, high privilege, non pregnant people are going. Oh yes, 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 definitely blue cheese, absolutely, darling. So uh, that's how I would personally pair a date at this point in my life. Is how are you gonna how are you gonna pair a date when I come to your house then? What's my, what's my offering? This me? is yours, B. So then you'd open up the date vulva, pluck the seed out, stuff it with peanut butter or any kind of nut butter, almond butter, cashew nut butter, whatever you want. But if you want to increase the nutrient value, I mix hemp seeds through the peanut butter, or you can crush some other nuts and put them in the peanut butter or chia seeds or something. So make a paste out of all that. And then if you get a very dark, chocolate vegan chocolate dark dark like 70 or 80 you lost me oh my gosh where is your food taste anyway i'm not coming to your house anymore but then you stuff it and then you drizzle it with some of this really dark chocolate and then you again can sprinkle on top the same kind of seeds and like really seed it up okay that's another way of eating a date and you could freeze those so i've made in the past like whole containers of those and my kids will just walk past the freezer and pull out a date with all the nut butter and hemp seeds and pepitas and chia seeds and everything and just like jam them in their little mouths. So everyone that- right now is really impressed at your parenting. <laughs> uh, I-, I, can't, I can't get a child to jam in. That's a whole other story and a whole other podcast. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed, woman. I'm impressed. Oh, thanks, love. Anyway, so that's two ways. The other thing you can make is bliss balls, which usually have got coconut oil. Uh, yeah, and and nuts and fats and seeds and in it because that's how you keep it together with all that stuff. So you can use dates, 
as the sweetener in your bliss balls and see if you can work out. So if you made a recipe, for example, with seven dates, and then obviously you know how many bliss balls you need to eat per day to get all your seven dates in, and then you can just like multiply the recipe and go, okay, I know I need to eat six bliss balls in order to get my six dates in. So you got to kind of work and you that. Can even and out. So I would do, I'd like add like one or two dates to a smoothie, yeah. then have like a bliss ball. And then, yeah, it's it's a lot of dates over a day. It really is to kind of break it in. I would have them as like a, yeah, a snack without all the amazing stuff that Mel's talking about, but I love that. But you can add them to a smoothie as well. That works really yes. well. And then scones. You have yeah. to bring in the scone recipe, but I, that's not that's not nutritional, but, no. you know, but yeah. have a good scone. So smoothie recipe. So if you want to have a smoothie that's got some good fats and and high density protein in it, again, you can add peanut butter to a smoothie. Amazing. Trust me. A pinch of salt. Okay, come with me here. Seeds in there, super high fat. I use a nut milk instead of dairy because they're lower in um, sugar. And then throw half an avocado in. Trust me. And then wazz all that up with the person that says trust me. Wazz up two or three dates in that smoothie. That could be breakfast. It is an easy way. I know people a lot are really against smoothies, like because if they if you don't you can't eat it all, then you shouldn't be drinking at all. I know there's that, but smoothies are my one way to kind of get the stuff that I really want to get in. In, but I, I can't see. wait to film when I come to your house and you feed me because I feel like I'm going to get a smorgasbord of all these things first, you, and we're just going to laugh. Imagine yourself with a modern Greek mama just like feeding you the best things you've ever tasted. I'm I'm giving you my prerequisites before I come. I, honestly, I totally back myself in the kitchen. All right. Um, so yeah, the other thing you could do, consider the savory stuff. Like um, a lot of cultures use dates to sweeten things like curries and like tagines and things like that. So if you're having a curry, uh, sprinkle them on all your salads. You can make muesli with chopped up dates in them again as well and use that for breakfast with some yogurt. Alas and stuff where they put sultanas and stuff. You could yeah. use dates instead. That kind of thing. Um, you can make porridge and use dates as the sweetener. So you could put two dates in a serve of porridge with some chia seeds and coconut cream. That's what I feed. My son will eat that almost every day for breakfast. My daughter won't. So picture me making multiple breakfasts in the kitchen from scratch. That's my morning. Picture me telling my child to get back at a cereal. We don't have cereal in our house. See, that's the problem with my life. Yeah, our, our nutritional, um, we're very different there and that is okay. I just want to say for those mums getting the box of cereal, the toast out, I'm not giving their kid breakfast. That's okay. That's not okay. But everyone's different. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very, gen- I'm feeling, I'm comparing myself to you right now, Mel. So just a lot of love to all the other people comparing themselves going, I, oh, children don't eat this kind of amazing food. Don't Go compare to yourself to me. That's me. Don't compare yourself because I literally grew up with parent, two parents who cooked amazing food. Yeah. I grew up with a Maltese mum and a brother who became a chef and I went the opposite way. Okay. So Right. <laughs> not just well, and I've also studied nutrition, so there's extra motivation yeah. and yeah. Uh, that's sure. that's all the recipes I'm going to give. I think it's enough for people to get started if you're yeah. planning on having dates, knowing where the research sits. But if you're worried about your blood sugars and your diabetic, just stay really onto it with your blood sugar testing. Make sure if you 
if you are noticing spikes with the dates that you're employing things to reduce the glycemic index, like what I spoke about with pairing foods, exercise, and what else? Apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar. So I think that's it. But I suspect well, now we're all hungry and we're wanting to add a lot more nutritional value to our life if we don't. I feel like that's where I've been left with this podcast. Well, because we all if you want to do the do the dates. And if you don't want to do the dates, do the dates. I just want to say that because I, I feel like in terms of the evidence, there's not enough not enough for us to statistically recommend it. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that if we did a study here, it wouldn't say it wouldn't uh, mimic the outcomes that have already been found or find better ones or f- not find the same. Like, you know, it's it's unknown basically is what we're saying, but it's not harmful. It's a food. If you want to do it and it's meaningful for you do- to do it, I guess the other thing I want to add in here is if you're not doing it, please don't freak out. Cause I think this is a big thing that happens is people will see it at like 38 weeks and go, I haven't done the dates and now I'm going to have a bad birth. Please don't freak out. Please don't freak out if you haven't done the dates and there's no reason to freak out if you have done them because there's no harmful. Yeah. And I think value value the cultural knowledge or, you know, the traditional knowledge that's been handed down. If that's just, if you're just doing it because that's what your people do, then I think Mm. that's not a bad reason either. Awesome. All right. We did that sidetracked. We had a bit of fun with that because we knew that it wasn't going to be a long episode and then <laughs> I managed to make it long. <laughs> and we had a whole cooking session with Mel and we realised how different our standards were. We've learned a lot today. <laughs> and our tastes. I'm so coming over for food though. I think everyone wants to come over now. That's where our party should be, at your house. Party should be at your house and you should cater for it. <laughs> and I'll just rock up. It'll mimic the podcast. You do all the work <laughs> I rock up. That's perfect. It's a perfect birth rebellion podcast. Party. And you'll be the life of the party. I'll be like, I'll be like In quietly handing food to people and you'll be dancing on the table. Dan. Yeah. It's exactly. And my husband will be helping you in the kitchen. All right, team. Thank you for being here for another episode. And we will see you on the next episode of the Great Birth Rebellion. See you. Go and have a listen to Janet Jackson and stuff some dates with peanut butter. Not blue cheese. But also blue cheese and prosciutto and walnuts. Okay, farewell, family. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> All right.